You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Morning. Good to see everybody. If you'd be opening your Bibles, we'll take our, our text first today from Romans chapter 8. We're going there to begin and end and some along the way. We find there in Romans 8.28 what is often considered to be the greatest promise that God has given us in the New Testament. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Not just that God will cause it and have it work out, Not just that it will somehow work out, but that God causes all things to work together for good. And so there's a working together for good that we don't always see. And God has plans and God is making provisions for things. It's often hard for us to see how it all fit together and how it will be good at all. And I thought we might think about Uh, Our father Abraham, Uh, there's a passage in Romans 4 that asks, what has Abraham our forefather found? Well, in regard to this particular promise, which is made to uh, those who love God and called by his purpose, uh, for for this occasion, uh, I thought we'd think about Abraham, the great believer, and see how this promise made to believers worked out for him. Now, we can't go through the entire biography of Abraham I saw that somebody conveniently uh, outlined the uh, life of Abraham into only 48 parts. (laughs) There's about 22 or 3 things before the age of 86 that are recorded in the life of Abraham, and just about that same number after. And so we won't look through the whole biography of Abraham, but just look at the start of it and see how it played out in accordance to the teaching for all believers. Because Abraham is the father of all believers. So this great promise, among all the precious and magnificent promises of God, how did this promise play out in the life of Abraham? Well, let's read the text here of Romans 8, and uh, beginning in verse 18, and get a little bit of context for uh, what we have. All right, so we find out that there's a, we find out there's a bit of a process that believers go through in this world of futility. So Romans eight eighteen beginning, Paul says, "For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly." For the revealing of the sons of God. For this creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together till now. And not only this, 
But we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we find out in this world there's a bit of a process. We'll simplify what he said in those verses Paul did. That on our part, we hope and we groan and we wait. That, that's our part in these things above. Now we're eagerly longing. That's our, that's our hoping and waiting together for the redemption that's coming, for the, the adoption that's coming, for the salvation that's coming. But in this world, subjected to futility by God, our role is so often hoping, groaning, and waiting. Now, here comes the part of God. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, here's what we read earlier, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. So what does he do? He helps. He causes good. And he leads us to the set destination. Well, we'll find out in this case uh, what the uh, destination is. Uh, the destination is to be conformed, in this case, to his son. Uh, but uh, we definitely have God having planned for us uh, to go somewhere and to go along a path. And when we see predestined, uh, we, we think about uh, pre meaning before and destined or destiny uh, meaning going to a thing or going to a place. Uh, predestined is sometimes overread, but it is most based root level. Predestined means you picked out the destination ahead of time. Well, we don't know all the stops along the way, and, uh, but we have been told what the destination is. And has that destination been well set? And so it's sort of, you know, Christianity is not like a, uh, a plane ticket that you want in a raffle. Ooh, I want a ticket. I wonder where this goes. Right? Christianity is a free gift where you're told where you're going and it's well worth the ride. Right? And so uh, predestination means we know the destination. It's already been set out ahead of time. Now, again, we may not know all the stops, but we know where we're going. All right, so in this case, in these cases, did, did this work out this way for Abraham? Was he in the same process by which he hoped and groaned and waited, in which God helped, God is the cause of good, and God leads him to the set destination? Is that true in the life of Abraham? So again, from Romans 4 and verse 1, what shall we say then about Abraham, our forefather by the flesh, what has he found um, ESV is the, oh, about the only translation that doesn't say something about what he has found. It says, what has he gained? Which I think is also interesting. The NIV has a little bit different take. It says, what has he discovered? What did Abraham discover? What did he gain or what did he find? Well, what we find with Abraham 
is we find a very slow start. Remember that process? That process for us was hoping and groaning and waiting. And so often we start the life and story of the biography of Abraham. We start in Genesis 12 with the great promises, don't we? But it turns out there was some history before that. And in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen tells the story of Abraham, which is told repeatedly through the scripture, he does tell us that even in Haran, uh, there was a call for Abraham. That's the reason this family went up there to where they were. And then from there, uh, it's kind of a pre-staging. Then, then Abraham staged into, uh, from there, the promised land. But it really is a slow start, and it's not a very encouraging start. So for anybody who thinks, man, this, this is taking too long. This is not getting off well. We didn't seem to start this on the right foot. Imagine if this were the history, Genesis eleven twenty-seven. These are the records of the generation of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram and Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father. That, that's a bad day, right? When your kids die, that's a bad day. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldees. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldees to enter the land of Canaan, and there they went as far as Haran, maybe they named it after the son that had died, or either that or we got, happened to have the same name twice, but most likely they, they named their settlement, their little place, after their departed son and brother. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, now, we, we almost never read that part of the story of Abraham, do we? But this is part of the setting, and, uh, uh, you know, just think about how many uh, notable people of whom we'd like to know a lot in the scriptures, we don't know that much. But here's the first thing we have of Abraham. And again, what do we have? A very small group, insular group, right? Uh, Abram uh, married his half uh, a sister. Um, we have her being barren. Uh, we have uh, early death. And we just have things not going well and taking a long time and far from home. And so how would you like the story of your family to be? Well, there were a few people far from home. A couple of them died. And, you know, the one in whom we were hoping was barren. All right, and go. Well, again, what's the process that we found in Romans 8? It was hoping and groaning and waiting. And so even before we come to the famous parts of Abraham's story, there's already what? Hoping, groaning, and, and waiting. And then God interposes with the great promise. Now, there's already some indication from Acts 7 that even at this, or the Chaldees, uh, God had spoken uh, to them and set this in motion. But the, the, the great part we remember in the story of Abraham is Genesis chapter 12. And so then the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. Well, he's already pretty far away, but no, go farther. And from your relatives, there weren't many of them there, but no, leave them that are. And from your father's house, well, there wasn't much of that left, but okay, to the land I'll show you. Well, how far is that? Well, I'll let you know. Okay. And I'll make you a great nation, uh, you and your barren wife. Mm -hmm. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. 
Okay, well, that doesn't seem to be happening so far. I mean, you know, uh, Abraham's about 75 when this occurs. Most of the time you figure, you know, if I haven't done anything by the time I'm 75, I'm not, I'm not going to get it done, right? Of course, now we do see these, these great long lifespans. Abraham lives to 175, as Terah, his father, lived to 205. So, I mean, he's only halfway through life, right? And so just imagine today a 50-year-old fellow taking off, uh, with his wife and no kids, going off to a new place to start over. What do you figure their prospects? You, know, you, don't, you know, he's 50, he ain't done much yet, right? Uh, what, what do we think is going to happen now? All right, well, this is, uh, though, through the hope and promise of God, this is what God was working with, working with our father Abraham. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those that curse you. And uh, I, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we know, again, these promises of God. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, right? I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I'll make your name great. I'll bless I'll curse, I'll call these things to happen. What was it we read in Romans 8, 28? God causes all things to work together for good. How much of this was Abraham? Abraham's part was the faith. God's part was the causing. And so, uh, Abram, this is where the show of faith is. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. So I got to say, as he goes in faith with these greatest of promises, almost just unbelievable promises, there doesn't seem to be by any <coughs> earthly standard, by any earthly way, there doesn't seem to be any way that there's a clear path for any of those things to happen, does there? He's going to go live in Canaan as an alien and a sojourner, and his descendants, and again, he's got the barren wife, they're going to take the land over from all these people? We're going to remember him? We're going to remember his name? Uh, Every family in the world is going to know Abraham? Let me ask you today, is there any family in the world that doesn't know Abraham? Everybody knows Abraham. And so there was no clear path, and the path... That, that he did go on was full of difficulties. The very first story, the very first story we run to is not Abraham having twins or triplets and uh, his wife all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, becoming uh, fertile and, and, uh, and, and bringing him uh, a great uh, flock of children. Uh, the uh, story ahead is one of famine. And him having to leave, leave the land that God had just showed him. And then he, so he immigrates, he, he, he goes down to Egypt. And how does that sojourn in Egypt go? Well, he's in great fear. He becomes duplicitous. He gets separated from his wife, who gets put into the household of Pharaoh for a time. Pharaoh, who seemed to like him, ends up cursing him. Pharaoh upbraids him. And Pharaoh deports him. Good start. 
That is the story, isn't it? Genesis 12, verse 10, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went to Egypt to sojourn. The famine in that land was severe. It came about when he got near to Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, see, now I know you're a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is my wife. Or this is his wife. They'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So they're going to kill me to get you. Now, fellas, uh, it's nice to think your wife is that beautiful. and She may have been. But it's not good to do what he did as a result. Please say you're my sister. Which is, you know, that's partly true. That's not the main thing that's true about him, but that was true. So that it may go well with me because of you. You know, every time that Abraham or anybody says, we need to do this so it goes well with me. How does that ever turn out? Let's do this because it'll work for me. What, what, what do you need to do anytime somebody says, I need you to do this for me? And it's, it's something dubious. Don't. Don't. So uh, he went to Egypt. They did see she was beautiful. Pharaoh's official said, hey, the, the king likes to collect beautiful women. And they took her to Pharaoh's house. And therefore, he treated Abraham well for her sake. Gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys. And he gave him servants and all kinds of things. So that's the kind of thing you give as a dowry. Pharaoh's, hey, I like this guy. He's got, he's got connection to this beautiful woman. I get to add one to my harem. It'll all go well. Except then, the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what have you done to me? So somehow he figured out what the source of the problem was. Maybe God revealed it to one of his, the people in his court. I'm not sure how it became revealed, but Pharaoh finds out what the cause of the problem is. Why would you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. And he commanded his men concerning him. They escorted him out. What do you call it when the king escorts you and yours to the border? That's a deportation. So here is Abraham, the deportee. And this is just terrible all the way around. Fear of death. Just after God had promised him a great many things that really do depend on him being alive, right? All the blessings of God to Abraham at least depend on this much. They depend on Abraham being alive. But when there's a famine in the land, what does he do? He fears death. And this is sort of like the disciples fearing they're going to drown in the boat when Jesus is on board, right? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right, Jesus tells them they're in a boat shortly after that, and there's a storm, and what do they say? Master, careth thee not that we perish. Master, we're all going to die here. Jesus says to them, no, 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 I have a plan for you guys that includes fishing for men, not fishing in Davy Jones's locker. Well, I need you alive for the plan that I have for you. But we upbraid the disciples for their lack of faith, as Jesus did, and so we must do the same with Father Abraham here, as well, a terrible lack of faith. And you think about this. All these promises sort of depend on Abraham's son being born to Sarah. And doesn't her being added to Pharaoh's house sort of cast in doubt the lineage of any children born for a while? I mean, this is terrible. And through this, what does God cause it to be? 
He causes it to end up for good. Right? Now, I'm not saying we should in any way be uh, flippant or careless or casual and say, uh, it doesn't matter what I do, God will cause it to work out for my good. You know, that uh, $4 million I invested in Enron because they were going to turn that money around quickly, God caused that to work for good, right? Through the bankruptcy court, I found and met you know, so-and-so who was a connection to my next. No, don't. Now, could it be that through a bankruptcy, you do meet somebody who turns out to be the greatest blessing in your life? Yeah, maybe. But does that mean you should be careless and, you know, not worry too much? Oh, I'll, I might end up in bankruptcy court. No. Are there people who through... Uh, you know, recovery from substance abuse and various kind of addictions. Have there been people who through the process of recovery, have they not found the Lord and have they not found good things in life and their life been turned to a blessing? Yes, but would we suggest that path on the outset to anybody? We would never suggest that path on the outset. And so no matter what happens, and even when we do poorly, and goodness knows here, did not Abraham but do poorly, we can find that God can cause it to work for our good. Now, do we want to uh, presume that we can make every bad decision? God will send us that rescue parachute always. Don't worry about it. and The consequences will be minor. No, not in the least. We <coughs> may find ourselves not like <laughs> Father Abraham, but we may find ourselves like nephew Lot. He did real well for a while too, didn't he? For a while, and we look, note, we look and note his end. So we wouldn't want to presume. We want, wouldn't want to put the Lord our God to the test and say, "Well, I can be careless; it'll all turn out." But can we have the hope that as we try to be faithful, even if we make mistakes, that it might turn out well for us, and that God's hand could still be with us if we still are truly believing? So that's just the first three stories. In the life of Abraham, there are about 20 more. Like the Hebrew writer says, time would fail to speak of all of them. But what we'll note from then on is by and large, not that there's not, never an exception, but that by and large we have, after this, another century of faith. A century of real life. Right? And, and not just, you know, I know that Abraham is so, so often... Uh, you know, the subject of our uh, vacation Bible school and vacation Bible school type lessons, which are, you know, simplistic child uh, appropriate tellings of the story of Abraham. But there's several non-child appropriate, non-VBS appropriate incidents in the life of Abraham, right? Because it's, it's a century of real life, of real triumph and real defeat, of real discouragements and of real dedications, of wars and of Worship. A son by the wrong woman because of the bad advice of his wife based on a lack of faith in that one time. But finally, the promised son. And then several years after that, sacrificing him. Believing that God would raise him from the dead. God provided another way, but believing to that degree. And then a, a, a latter section of the life of Abraham is uh, not as well documented and not often very well studied. Forty years as a widower. He's a widower for 40 years after his beloved and beautiful wife Sarah dies. And he takes another wife. 
and uh, he has children by her. And through it all, through it all, we ask again the question of Romans 4.1, what did Abraham find? In the book of Galatians, and this was our, one of the verses we had on uh, our study Thursday night, we saw this in verse 9. It said, so those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham, the believer. If you're a person of faith, you're a child of Abraham today. And what did Abraham, the believer, in this life of faith find? Well, one thing he definitely found, again, we studied it on on Thursday night in our Zoom study, but Abraham found in this life of faith, he found righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, it's one of the few verses that are, have the um, great place of being quoted multiple times in the New Testament. It's actually, Genesis 15, 6 is quoted four times in the New Testament, twice in one chapter. Genesis 15, 5 and 6 say this, that he took him outside. This is after Abraham was given one of the repeated promises of the son to come. Abraham was taken outside and God said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Again, no child at that time. And he believed in the Lord. He believed Jehovah. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham, in spite of the known sins and faults that he had, Abraham is known forever as a righteous man because he was a faithful man. And God counted his faith as righteousness. In the New Testament, that's given to be our way of salvation as well. That we believe in Christ and that will be credited as righteousness. Romans 4 verse 1. This is one of the quotes. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, in pertaining to the flesh, what has he found? If Abraham were justified by works, he would have something to glory in, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted or reckoned to him as righteousness. And again, in verse 22 of the same chapter, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. It's quoted in Galatians 3, where we studied on Thursday night. Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him uh, as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are the faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. It's also quoted in James 2 about works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works As a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was also called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. And so Abraham's faith uh, and the resulting action of faith is so strong that when Paul wants to say we're justified by faith in Christ and not the works of the law, it's Abraham who is the example. And when James needs to remind people that an empty profession of faith is worthless or just a knowledge of faith without the 
uh, trust and action that goes with it, that's worthless. Abraham's an example of that too. Abraham found righteousness in his believing and acting and trusting faith. He truly found over the life that he led, he led that all things, uh, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God. What is the outcome of his long life and what is his legacy? Again, we have so much biographical material of Abraham in Genesis, some 50 or 60 discrete points of facts we could point out and and talk about that we almost can't even begin to summarize it. 18 different facts of the biography of Abraham are pointed out in the New Testament. When, When God wants to identify who he is, He tells Isaac, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. And when he wants to identify to Jacob who he is, who's talking, he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, and your father, Isaac. That's who I am. And when God wants to identify to Moses so he can tell the entire people who he is, how does he identify himself? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God identifies himself as being the God of Abraham. There are 10 different characters and people in the Bible who will cite Abraham in their examples, in their prayers, or their admonitions of the people. Just look at this list of people who cite Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Ezra, Micah, and in the New Testament, Mary, and Zechariah. These are the people who talk about our father Abraham and use that in their prayers or their admonition of the people. And so this is all things working out well. Also, he's well mentioned by John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul. Things worked out pretty well. God caused that in him all the nations to be blessed, and we remember those promises. When we go to God for our blessings as Christians, it is through the promises made to Abraham. So he learned that God could fulfill his promises. And the the beautiful thing about Abraham was he truly believed that, he fully accepted that, and he acted as if that was completely true decades before it actually came to pass. This was the reason why it was of faith and not just of sight. So in Romans 4, verse 18, this is the kind of faith we're talking about. In hope, he hoped, in hope against hope, he believed. Romans 4, 18. So that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken to him, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he could also perform. That was Abraham's conclusion and the active principle of his life for decades before he saw these things begun to come true. So, when we get to chapter 8, and all of us believers are asked to believe in some pretty incredible things, 
including the fact that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him, how do we proceed? Well, we should proceed like Abraham did. With respect to the promises, not wavering in unbelief, but growing strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God promised, God can perform. Let's read the rest of Romans 8, and let's see if we can't but believe in the same unwavering, strong conviction, giving glory to God, fully assured that if he promised it, he'll do it way. So we go again to Romans 8 now. Instead of talking about Abraham, the believer of old, let's, let's personalize this and think about us as the believer in Christ today. Verse 28, beginning of Romans 8. For we know God causes all things to work together for good, for those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, we believe that like Abraham believed, right? With respect to God's promise, we don't waver in unbelief, but grow strong in faith, give glory to God, are fully assured that what he promised he'll perform, right? That's our relationship to these passages. It should be. Let's go on. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one that condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God? who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's Psalm 44. Didn't say it'd be easy, but it said it'd be worth it. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Abraham our father, like Abraham our example, let us with respect to these promises of God not waver in unbelief, but grow strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured what God has promised, he'll also perform. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.